coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazz Wall Report. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be talking about stem cell therapy today. But I have to be honest, because when this topic reached my desk, I didn't give it much attention simply because I thought it would be a boring one. But the more I looked into it, the more mystery and intrigue there was to uncover. According to some, stem cell therapy could be the next big thing in the world of medicine and can play a major role in beauty and health once it becomes fully approved by the FDA. But the big concern is that it's still a controversial treatment. Even though athletes like Peyton Manning, Chris Johnson and hundreds of football players turn to stem cell therapy to assist in their recovery. To unravel these mysteries, our guest is Dr. Joshua Hare, who's the founding director of the Interdisciplinary Stem Cell Institute at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. And he's one of the world's leading pioneers in this field. Welcome to the show, Doc. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. This is quite a long-worded institute you uh, work for, right? Yes. The interdisciplinary stem cell. The stems need uh, stem cells need discipline, do they? Well, interdisciplinary means that it affects multiple disciplines in medicine, perhaps all disciplines. And as you, as your introductory comments were, mm. this could revolutionize medicine of uh, diseases of all of our organ systems. Well, so welcome to the show, and let's start from the beginning. What is a stem cell? Give me an analogy of some sort. So if you, if you think about an army, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a functional unit that's made up of soldiers, right. and stem cells are like the soldiers, and together they work to create organs and give those organs renewed health. And then, I mean, where, where, where does a stem cell come from? There are, uh, importantly, what we call adult stem cells, and those are stem cells that are found throughout our bodies in adult life, and so they're very easy to obtain. We can get those stem cells from bone marrow, for example, mm-hmm. from fat tissue. Those are two very common sources of, of stem cells that are very easy to obtain. But can you get it from blood? Blood, blood contains some stem cells, mm-hmm. and yes, there, yes, that is a potential source. Another very prominent, important source that many people are turning to is to, when a child is born, to take the umbilical cord blood, the blood that's in the placenta. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, many people are storing the, that type of blood uh, for their children, perhaps to use later in life, and that's very rich in stem cells. What's the difference between, say, stem cell therapy and cloning? They're completely different. Cloning is a genetic procedure where the idea is that you would take the DNA from an individual and recreate that individual mm. with, uh, with um, identically. And there was a very famous movie several years ago, uh, The Boys from Brazil, where the idea was you could clone uh, Adolf Hitler by, by keeping a copy of his, his DNA. That's science fiction. Stem cells are what we like to call science fact. They're a reality, and it's not uh, magical. It's not uh, supernatural. It's, it's, not, it's not scary. It's, it's responsible science and medicine. Well, it is intriguing because, I mean, give me an example. 
of how you would do it. How does the actual procedure happen? Because you say that you could take stem cells from the bone marrow or fat tissue. Um, so what happens in an operating theater? Um, we actually don't even need an operating theater because what's exciting about this is it's very practical. So I'll give you a great example. We've worked in the area of heart recovery for, de for about a decade now. Mm. And when people get heart attacks, they lose a part of their heart muscle. That heart muscle gets destroyed and turns into a scar that gives a person congestive heart failure. We've been able to take stem cells from bone marrow grow them up in the laboratory, make large quantities of them, and inject them back into the damaged area of a heart and, and watch that heart heal, watch the scar shrink. This is the same thing that these uh, pro, pro athletes are doing that you've talked about. If they injure a knee um, or, or some other joint, they've turned to getting the similar type of stem cells injected back into an injured joint mm -hmm. to try to heal an injured joint. No, so, so then, I mean, in an, operating, ability. in an operating theater, what would happen? Would you need both people, the one who's donating and the one who's receiving? Uh, no. It, very often, uh, the patient themselves is also the donor. But uh, there's a new uh, aspect to this field that's very, very exciting, which is that the cells can be used from a different donor. Mm -hmm. So you can make large quantities of stem cells from, say, the bone marrow of a donor. You can keep those cells in a blood bank, just like if you need to give somebody a blood transfusion, you have the blood waiting there. Mm -hmm. We can have the stem cells waiting there. And so when we want to treat somebody... With stem cells, we just go to the blood bank. We don't even need to get a donor because the donor gave us the cells months ago. So we go to the blood bank, we take the cells, and then in a cardiac catheterization laboratory, which is a laboratory where we do angioplasties and things of that nature, we can inject the cells into the damaged area of a heart with a, a catheter needle, a, a needle that we thread into the heart from the uh, groin of a patient. We talk about taking stem cells from, say, the bone marrow. Yeah. And, and, and the last time I saw bone marrow was when I was in a steakhouse. <laughs> you know, uh, I yes, mean, it's, it's split exactly. open. So right. if I was to donate to myself, and I'm in the operating theater, so what, what do you do? Do you actually then make an incision into, say, my leg? It's not. Uh, an incision e isn't even required. There's, there are some bones that are very close to the surface. Your hip bone at the, at the back part is right uh, just below the surface of the skin. Mm. And doctors can actually take a needle and put the needle through the bone there and draw out the bone marrow. It, look, it looks just like blood. And it's a very simple procedure. It takes about five minutes, right. and it's relatively painless. And you, uh, bone marrow donors give their bone marrow and go home uh, an hour later with just a Band-Aid on their, on their skin. So it's not a big procedure. It's not surgery. It's just a needle. It's, it's like giving a blood sample uh, a little bit more complicated than a blood sample. Okay, so let's say I had a heart attack. Blood. Let's say I had a heart attack, and then yeah. you're going to use my stem cells from my bone marrow, uh, you inject it, you, sorry, you, you, you remove it through the injection, and then, what, you cut open my, my chest, and then you sort of put it there? What happens? 
there's very little cutting at all that's necessary. So a, a catheterization procedure is another procedure that's just done through a needle. And mm. this is a very common procedure that's done uh, thousands of times every day in the United States in catheterization laboratories where a needle is put in your groin. And through that mm. needle, we can thread a catheter up your aorta into your heart. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's remarkable how simple this is and how safe it's become. We use that procedure to open blocked arteries, for example. So it goes through so the, the groin? It goes through the groin. I'm not awake at that time, am I? Oh, you're sedated. We do, you are actually not under anesthesia. We've just given you some calming medicine and some pain medicine to keep you calm. The yeah, whole because thing it is the groin. An hour. It is the groin, so I'm going to feel a lot of pain. Well, you, we give you local numbing medicine in the groin, mm-hmm. and we give you calming medicine, and you lie there very calmly, and, uh, and you, once you're recovered, you have a Band-Aid on your groin, and you basically get up and go home the next day. Do the stem cells know when they attach themselves to the heart that they automatically start growing? Yes, we think that they do, and more than that, we think that based on where they are, they know what to do. So they do a different thing if they're in the heart as as they would in a joint, because in the heart they uh, it's it's much like a mail mailing a, a a postcard to a zip code. When you are in a certain zip code, you know where you are. If you have the zip code for California, mm. different than the zip code in Florida, for example. So. By, by sensing where they are, they respond to that particular environment. In the heart, they would do things that are important for the heart. They would grow and cause the growth of new heart muscle and other types of tissues that you need in the heart, like blood vessels. In the joint, they are working on the cartilage and the lining of the joint to make that better. You also said something about other people can donate their stem cells. Yeah. Now, if I was to take a stem cell, say, from a friend of mine, um, and if he had health problems, would his stem cells give me those health problems? That's a great question. It depends on what the health problems are. So, for example, if he had an infection, let's say he had some kind of virus, like a hepatitis STD or something, or something like yeah. that. He would transmit that to you. Uh-oh. So what we do when we do these procedures is we're very, very careful mm. when we screen the donors. We make sure that they're healthy, and we check them to make sure they don't transmit any diseases. And this has been done for decades for bone marrow transplant. Um, so... Um, so uh, we have ways of monitoring the health of the donor to mm-hmm. make sure that they're not going to transmit anything to the person getting their cells. So in the same way, then, if you take stem cells from a brain, will you start thinking like the other person? I mean, if my wife takes some stem cells from my brain, will she become more intelligent? We don't think so. That's a great question. But um, what the cells do is they cause the body to heal it, heal itself more than anything. So if you gave um, uh, neuronal stem cells, uh, brain stem cells from one person to another, they would really just help that person heal. They wouldn't transform that person into a different person with different thoughts. So how do you go and find a good stem cell therapy doctor? I mean, do you go on Yelp, or how do you do this? 
The best way right now, the, I think the most important thing for every listener to understand is that stem cell therapy is, is experimental right now. It's, mm-hmm. an, it's not approved. And what that means is it's in a pre-approval stage where the Food and Drug Administration is asking responsible researchers to test the therapies in ways that can give the, the Food and Drug Administration information to pr- approve the therapies. The best way to find out where to go is to look on a website called clinicaltrials.gov. Clinicaltrials.gov, anybody can look that up on their computer, and it's a listing of all of the clinical trials that are being conducted worldwide for everything using every type of therapy. And you could just search there. If you want to look for stem cells for heart, you just put in stem cells heart and you'll find all of the clinical trials stem cells for joints, whatever you're interested in, it'll be on clinicaltrials.gov. And that is the best way to find a responsible, uh, prudent doctor who's doing responsible investigation to learn what's the best way to use stem cells. Can people actually get paid for donating their stem cells? We uh, pay a small stipend to donors for their for their time and for their convenience. It's part of the it's part of the research that we do. Mm. This is not uh, a big business type of uh, situation. Um, we pay we pay donors a few hundred dollars for 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 their contribution. Part of the part of the um, excitement or the glamour of the stem cell therapy is it a lot of claims that it's the fountain of youth um, are they used for plastic surgery are they better than Botox they are used in plastic surgery and if you think about it it's it's it's, it's not an unreasonable thing to do mm. because just like the injury in a joint or the injury in the heart or the injury in the brain that we've used to treat stem cells the uh, the exterior of the body is also subject to deterioration and changes to injuries and, and scar formation and just the way those cells heal internal parts of our body part organs inside the body they can also we feel heal the outside of the body and make skin uh, more resilient and more youthful so just like all of the other fields, this is an early stage and requires more research to prove and understand. But indeed, m- indeed, it's being done. People are doing it, and uh, and we will learn more as uh, how it works. As of now, if you ask me, is it better than Botox? I can't tell you mm. whether it's better or the same, but it's it's another option, and it's something that's very reasonable for us to to think about doing. So in, 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 in a situation like plastic surgery, I'm still trying to figure out, do you just, is it like a cream? You apply it on your face? No. If you were going to have an injection of cells, it would be, inje- you know, just the way we inject it in the heart or mm. into the j- uh, joint, the physician doing the treatment would inject the cells. I think a good example is a scar. Let's take the a scar, for example. Um, that's made up of the same tissue that causes a scar in the heart after a heart attack. And so by injecting the cells locally into that area, we can uh, reduce the scar tissue and rejuvenate that skin, cause it to have more blood vessel, blood vessel growth in the area of the scar, 
and um, and and heal a scar better is a great example. And so you could also think that by those same issues, it might um, it might cause wrinkles to heal. A very exciting uh, issue from cosmetics is that we are starting to think that it might also help with hair growth. So it might prove in the future to be a way to address uh, hair loss or, or baldness. That means, I mean, the stem cells seem to have a brain of their own. Because wherever you put them, they seem to know that they have to multiply. Yes, and, and what they're doing, hmm. what they're doing is they're interacting in an intelligent way with the environment. And that, that's very important. That's what makes them exciting. And also, if you think about it, it's, it's a little bit like natural medicine because what we're, we know that the body heals itself and has growth capabilities. Mm. Hair is the perfect example. Our hair grows all of the time. Our fingernails grow all of the time. And the growth of hair is regulated by stem cells. And so baldness is likely a loss of the hair stem cells. So if we give back the stem cells that we've made and, and put in our blood bank, it's reasonable to expect that they might cause the hair to grow better. So does that mean the stem cell knows that it has to convert itself to keratin? It's not necessarily converting itself. It's interacting with the hair follicles that are there and present. It's rejuvenating the hair follicles. So a hair follicle that's become old or deficient in some way, it's become damaged for whatever reason, uh, is now woken up because, aha, it's a, it's a boost of energy and says, okay, I'll start growing hair follicles again. And that's what we think happens in the heart as well. There are little areas of the heart that are responsible for growing new heart muscle. If they get damaged in a heart, in a heart attack, they, became, they become a, a non-functional. Mm -hmm. And we put our stem cells in, and it, it rejuvenates them up. And they go, okay, we're ready to, we're ready to go now. Let's, uh, let's create new heart muscle again. So actually, they're horny little buggers. They go in there and multiply and, and produce. Yes, yes. Interesting. Now, Gordy Ho, how went to Tawana to use stem cells to recover from a stroke. Why are people going abroad? Is it legal abroad? It's not really a question of legality. It's not illegal, per se, in mm. the United States. It's, it's just not approved by the Food and Drug Administration. And we have a very responsible Food and Drug Administration that protects the safety of, uh, of American citizens, protects them from... Uh, dangerous treatments or treatments that are unproven. And the job of the FDA is to help uh, responsible organizations develop new therapies for a variety of diseases. So if you, when you go, when your doctor gives you a prescription and you go to a pharmacy in the United States for whatever disease you have and whatever you're being treated for, you can be comfortable that the treatment you're getting has been approved by the FDA and therefore is safe for you to use and effective. Mm. Of course, if there are any known side effects, they'll be disclosed to you and you'll be told, well, there's a chance this could happen. So stem cells are just experimental where they were awaiting their approval and the necessary studies are being done right now that would allow the Food and Drug Administration to approve stem cell therapies. Many of us in the field, myself included, wish those studies could go faster so because we, we would like to see these therapies 
approved in the United States to help the people who could benefit for them. Now, why do people go abroad? Well, yes. they're, uh, they're impatient, and understandably so. If you've had a terrible stroke or a big heart attack, you're not so interested in waiting for the necessary uh, time it takes for the Food and Drug Administration to review the studies. And so if you go to another country where where it's more available, then many people will take that option. And, and you can't really blame those individuals for, for wanting to seek, uh, seek that option. The problem that, that, that those folks are going to be exposed to is they, the doctor they go and see in Tijuana or wherever it is they go may not necessarily be responsible. We don't, we don't know exactly what that doctor's going to give you. We don't that that doctor is not regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. So, so where are people going? There are all kinds of uh, locations. Um, well, are they going in, South America? Are they going to Asia? Where, where's the most popular? Yeah, there, there's um, uh, Mexico, Panama, the Caribbean. Um, some of these governments are taking it seriously and, mm -hmm. and are looking at it and getting involved at a governmental level to give some oversight and give some uh, protection to patients, and, that, and that's a good thing. Some places have relatively um, low regulations, and so you just don't know what you're going to get. You right. could go and pay somebody a lot of money, and that, in, that individual could say, uh, I'm giving you stem cells. You don't know for sure what that person's giving you. You don't even know if that person's a doctor necessarily. You don't even know if it's a stem cell. Right. So, right. so you're exposing yourself to a lot of, a lot of dangers and a risk, and that's what that's what the Food and Drug Administration is for. Mm -hmm. It's to protect us from that kind of quackery. Right. Uh, to protect us and to make sure that there's a a, a safety level and an F and an effectiveness level, but it does take time. Well, it let takes me time to 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 prove the safety. Okay. My producer had a great question. He wanted to know, can people live longer with stem cell therapy? That's a phenomenal question, and the answer is we don't know because the studies haven't been done. But mm. what we do know is that people have been, have been living longer and longer and longer. Every century that passes in the United States, the lifespan increases by 25 years. Mm -hmm. So people today are living 25 years longer than they did 100 years ago. And so it's possible that 100 years from now, in 2115, that people will be living on average 25 years longer than now. Okay. And stem cells may contribute to that. We were excited about the, that possibility. Uh, but we, we do know that we do think, and we're doing experiments now to test that, that that uh, stem cells could at least improve the quality of life when mm -hmm. you're when you're of older age, addressing many of the issues we've already talked about, can, muscle disease, bone disease. Talking about quality of life, can stem cell research fix cancer? There, again, all of your questions are pointing out to how far-reaching stem cells can be, and yes, uh, stem cells are already used hmm. to treat um, uh, some cancer. So the oldest form of stem cell therapy that we know works is bone marrow transplant. If you've got a, le a leukemia or lymphoma, we can take we can take you and destroy the cancer and give you back 
stem cells, again from bone marrow, but different kinds of stem cells from bone marrow, and those stem cells can repopulate your bone marrow and give you a new bone marrow. So stem cell therapy is already in existence for leukemias and lymphomas, and we're starting to think of other ways that we can use stem cells and other types of cells, um, cells that can modulate the immune system and kill cancers, uh, or stem cells that can target cancers in a way to um, deliver chemotherapy to them. So I think you'll see in the next 10, 20 years, cell-based therapy widely used for cancer as well. Great. Okay, let's talk about the controversy now. There's quite a bit uh, that seems to be controversial. And you talk about stem cells from the bone marrow, but the there's also another stem cell from the embryonic cells, right? Yes. Why, why is that considered controversial? It's very con controversial, and this is the root of most of the controversy in the field. It's controversial because there are religions, and particularly uh, the Christian religion, which is the most common you know, widely practiced religion in the United States, mm -hmm. that believe that the destruction of an embryo um, is, is, is taking a life. And so you can now see where there's a collision between uh, science and religious beliefs or ethics. Um, so stem cells that are taken from embryos are considered by many people to be uh, murder, killing, killing of a human being. Okay, but just give me the difference before we get into that. What's better, a stem cell from a bone marrow or a stem cell from an embryo? And, and not only what the differences are, but which one's better? Well, th this is also controversial within the scientific community. There are some people in the scientific community who believe that the embryonic stem cell is, is better or is going to be better for certain things. This is particularly controversial in the area of heart disease right now. There's a group of folks, mm. scientists, who believe that the embryonic stem cells are the best way to go. There are other people, myself included, and many others, who believe that the bone marrow cells are actually better uh, and, sup and truly superior. So if the bone marrow cells turn out to be the best way to go, then there's no ethical dilemma because we don't have to destroy life at all. If the, if the embryonic stem cells are better, then we will have an ethical quandary. However, and very importantly, is that scientists have figured out how to make cells that are very similar to embryonic stem cells in the laboratory. And these, are, these cells are called IPS cells. The Nobel Prize was actually awarded to the scientist who discovered how to make IPS cells, mm -hmm. a Japanese scientist. So we, we might be able to uh, avoid any ethics whatsoever because if the embryonic stem cells turn out to be better, we, um, we, we will probably be able to make them without having to destroy an embryo. But do stem cells have to come from, say, human embryos? Can they come from, say, our closest relation in the animal kingdom, like monkeys? They could, but we do believe that if the stem cells come from a non-human, mm -hmm. Uh, that they will be rejected and that they won't work. Well, have there been and, any tests? Um, 
they have not, uh, no, to my knowledge, nobody's injected monkey stem cells into a human being. But, but within the animal kingdom, if you cross animals, if you, for example, put a monkey stem cell into a pig, it will reject. It, it will. It will have a problem. But I think. I think there's an important issue here, which is that uh, I, what I'm going to say, I think, is very important. I don't think we we need to even confront that issue because we have access to human stem cells. We have ways to make them and make lots of them, make very high quality stem cells and be able to know and understand what, what we have. And so if we can get human cells, we don't need to worry about, about making of getting cells from a monkey. That's my opinion. And you think stem cells from the bone marrow are just as good or better than the embryonic ones? Yes. I think, you know, in medicine, what what typically happens is we find that uh, certain things work in certain circumstances better and other things work in other circumstances better. Mm. So if you think about cancer, there are lots of different kinds of cancer. For can, uh, a cancer of one part of the body, we use one set of drugs. And for cancer of another part of the body, we use a different set of drugs. So things are, are tailor-made. And I think the same thing is going to happen with stem cells. We're going to find that for certain diseases and conditions, we're going to want to use embryonic stem cells. And for other diseases and conditions, we're going to want to use bone marrow type of cells. Now, in my belief and, and my research in my laboratory here at the University of Miami, what we've discovered is that... Uh, is that the bone marrow cells work for some very important diseases that affect millions of people. So people who have had heart attacks, there are literally millions of Americans who are having health problems right now because they had a heart attack before. So if we can treat those uh, folks with bone marrow stem cells, then we're, we've got something really important on our hands. Well, I want you to go out on a limb here for me and for my listeners. For doctors who don't practice ethically and, and don't know how to do stem cell therapy right, what's the worst danger that could affect the patient? Um, I think there are many, many dangers that a, a person exposes themselves to yeah. uh, there. Uh, you know, it's simply if you don't know what, what's being injected into you or where it's come from, it could be dangerous for you. you we already talked about transmission of, of viruses. Uh, there are cases where people have gotten tumors or unwanted tissue growth from the cells. There's some terrible case reports in the literature about that. And so, so if it's not done responsibly, um, it can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, there are very few reports of that, but there are some. So the advantage of, of going to a responsible clinic is that people, patients will be monitored very carefully, and if a side effect does occur, then that responsible doctor or, and his colleagues can do something to address that. You know, it's a bit like plastic surgery because, you know, some people, they go to South America, they go to Asia, then they come back and they look worse than they did when they left. Absolutely. I think the most important thing is that if you go out of the United States or you go to somebody who you don't know very well, mm. and especially if they're in another, another country and you come back here, that doctor's not following you. If I have a patient who's been enrolled in one of my studies um, and they have a problem, 
I bring them back immediately, and I, I take care of it, just like just like any other type of procedure. If, if a cardiac surgeon does bypass surgery and their patient has a complication a few weeks later, well, they bring the patient back and they treat them. And they have also learned to understand what the possible risks and complications of every procedure are. So, uh, you know, as we start to treat millions or hundreds of thousands of people with stem cells, we, we will have complications. We'll learn what they are and we'll deal with them appropriately. And that's how medicine progresses. And what's the worst case you've heard of abroad that's happened that's totally sort of taken the reputation of the industry down? Well, the worst, the, the worst thing, I, well, there's a couple of things. One is um, the example of uh, patients who, who are desperate, patients who've got uh, Lou Gehrig's disease and terrible neurologic diseases like that, who've gone out of the country and paid huge sums of money uh, bankrupting themselves to get a treatment that turns out not to even contain stem cells in it. So just to get sort of salt water, if you will. And that was actually reported on 60 Minutes two or three years ago. The other, there has also been some, some really, uh, they're rare and isolated cases, but there are some really terrible cases of um, people getting tumors in their spinal cord from having, you know, stem cells injected into their spinal cord. So these events are rare, but they are uh, very unpleasant, and those are the worst things that I'm familiar with. How are the politicians, now we're entering the election season, how are the politicians reacting to stem cell research? Are there lobbyists for it? Yeah, uh, well, you know, the, the, uh, stem cell research right now is tied very much to the overall budget of the National Institutes of Health because the, the most important clinical trials that are being done are funded by the National Institutes of Health, and that is the most responsible type of work that's being done that will lead to approval by the FDA, along with some uh, trials that are being done some by some large biotechnology companies. Mm -hmm. So as the NIH f increases its funding, that's going to have a direct impact on increasing the amount of support for this type of research. And the good news is that after years of stagnation, finally uh, in the next budget cycle, the Congress has voted to increase the NIH budget very significantly by the biggest increase in about 10 years. And there are going to be two, uh, two efforts that hopefully will pass or will increase the NIH budget in two parts by about $4 billion next year. That's very, very, very much needed. So I think as the overall research budget increases at the federal level, that is going to result in more stem cell research. The other very important types of uh, funding to, for people to know about are state-level funding. The mm. state of California is really to be congratulated for over the last 10 years having had the taxpayers of California uh, create, a, create a program called CIRM where, they, where the state of California funded up to $3 billion of, stem, of stem cell research. And that's turned California really into the most uh, well-funded state in the nation doing stem cell research. And my uh, understanding there is that it's been so successful that they want to continue that funding and perhaps 
uh, increase it after the the three billion has run out. Yeah. So this is so important. You you can't go anywhere on uh, Google without finding multiple hits about stem cell therapy and, and research. This is something that are is very important to people, and the only way we can move it forward is 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 through responsible research. Let me ask you this: How long has the FDA been reviewing stem cell research? Over 10 years. So and, why is it taking uh, them the, so long then? Well, it's not the FDA that creates any delays. The FDA has their rules and guidelines about what people who want uh, something approved need to do, and they're actually incredibly helpful. Mm. Uh, the FDA uh, requires somebody who's developing a new therapy to take their therapy through three phases of research, phase one, phase two, phase three. Right. Um, at this point, we have, for heart disease, we've reached phase three trials. There are two major phase three trials being done in the United States. And I would have to say, interacting with FDA and somebody who's done many phase one and phase two trials, I found them to be extraordinarily helpful. They, they are not an impediment at all. The impediment is in the funding to do those trials. Um, if you have a product, a cell product, and you bring it to the FDA, they will tell you exactly what you need to do to get it through the trials. And as fast as you could do those trials and present the data back to them, they will review it and uh, respond. So we're all very excited in, in the heart community now because there is a phase three trial that's being done. And we, we're looking towards the reality of having this approved by FDA um, sometime in the next five years. That's what, what everybody hopes for. So you're relatively optimistic then? I'm optimistic. You talk about funding. Does it have to come from the government? You can't have private funders? Because once this gets approved, it's going to be a huge industry, am I right? Oh, yeah. There, it is, it is fun. The, the government provides the early stage funding, mm -hmm. and then if something looks like it's working, it does transition to... Um, to private industry, and that is the that is the pathway in in our capitalistic society. The 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 big therapies are handled by companies that um, work work as a profit motive, and 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 that is a good marker of the health of a of a, of an idea mm. is if there are companies doing phase three trials. And as I mentioned, there are two phase three trials in the United States right now for heart disease. And so these are both funded by separate biotechnology companies, and um, they partner with doctors in, in the university hospitals to conduct the trials and gather the data. And, and, and that is a real uh, marker of the health of this field, that there's not one but two phase three trials. There are also, uh, there's a whole biotechnology industry growing up around uh, cell therapy. There are hugely successful companies developing cell therapy for cancer. Okay, let me ask you this. Uh, going back to embryonic cells, um, what is your point of view? I mean, um, in, in terms of, obviously, the religious point of view is that it's an entity that possesses life. But when you take a stem cell from an embryo, does the embryo get destroyed? Yes. There is a way to create an embryonic stem cell without destroying an embryo. But the, the reality is that most embryonic stem cell lines have mm. been created from embryos that were going to be discarded anyhow. 
And this is where the uh, the ethics gets somewhat murky because when couples go through the procedure of in vitro fertilization, which is when the um, the egg and the sperm are united not um, inside a person but in a test tube, which mm-hmm. is a very common procedure in the United States, they there are extra embryos that are are usually stored and not used. So there are many, many unused embryos in the United States throughout the world that have been the source of embryonic stem cells. Those people who have religious opposition to embryonic stem cells are still opposed uh, to the destruction of those embryos, even though those embryos are not going to be used to create a person. What about... So that means you can't use stem cells from the tissue of aborted fetuses either? Well, that's different. Uh, that, that would be call, called a fetal stem cell. Mm. So once, it, once the fetus is uh, grown up already, it's already a few months old, that is, is uh, more advanced than an embryo. And again, um, some, some scientists have used tissue from fetuses to, to do cell transplantation. My personal view and my work has been based around uh, adult stem cells. In my view, and again, I, I didn't necessarily go this route for ethical reasons. Mm-hmm. I went this route for scientific reasons. In my research, I found that stem cells from adult tissue, bone marrow and heart and fat, work just fine So, and, and, and likely work better in many instances than those embryonic stem cells or those fetal stem cells. So my view based on scientific results is that the adult stem cells are just as good and therefore we don't have a burning need to use fetal or, or embryonic cells. It makes you wonder, you know, from the religious point of view, um, and I totally respect what they're saying. But shouldn't the real debate be about us maintaining life? What's more important, maintaining someone's life who's about to die and needs so-called the embryonic stem cell or taking away a life that hasn't started yet? Yeah. Well, that's where we, that's where we transition from science into ethics, mm. and uh, that, that's a very good question. And, for example, that question comes up in, in different scenarios. It, it comes up in organ transplantation. When you do a heart transplant, you're taking the heart from somebody who presumably has brain death, and you're, that person's brain is dead, but their heart is working, and we take that heart and give it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so by in so doing, we, we ensure that the person who's brain dead is now dead because we've removed their heart. Some religious people have an opposition to that. They feel that that's wrong. And that's a really clear-cut example where you're preserving the life of somebody and at the cost of the death of somebody else. And we justify, we do do that, we justify that because we feel that that other person is already dead. With embryonic stem cells, it's, it's actually not as, as ethically challenging because, again, these embryos are not going to be used and, it, and their, their cells uh, could be broadly used in many, many people. But again, fortunately, I feel we don't even have to confront that, uh, that dilemma right now, that debate because we have these adult stem cells. Mm-hmm. Will, will things like kidney transplant um, and so on, 
will, will they diminish if stem cells get fully regulated and accepted? Um, likely, but there's another aspect to this whole field of stem cell therapy, which is called tissue engineering mm -hmm. uh, or regenerative medicine. And, and the idea here is that, you know, the big problem with kidney transplants is that there aren't enough kidneys to go around for the folks who, who need them. So many people have to stay on dialysis for years and years and years. Well, one of the outcomes of the uh, stem cell field is that we might be able to make r real bona fide human kidneys from stem cells. So I might be able to take your bone marrow stem cells and make a kidney that's genetically identical to your kidney mm. and do a transplant with your kidney. So that is one way in which we see the, the merging together of stem cell research with tissue engineering with transplant. So the whole field of cell-based therapy is all about finding new strategies to heal people with devastating, uncurable diseases. And it's going to give us a whole menu of options. One is to heal injuries early and prevent transplant. And two is to um, enable and facilitate transplants in people who are at that level where they must have a transplant. How, how long does it take when you do a successful uh, stem cell operation? How quickly does the healing process take effect? In our heart uh, patients, we see, we see significant improvements at three to six months mm -hmm. after. In some cases, people feel better early. Uh, the exciting thing about our, uh, our heart research is that we found that not only is the heart improved, but people actually feel better also. They feel better. They can walk farther. Their quality of life is better. These are very important things in heart, uh, heart subjects. So people feel better early on, and their heart function improves about three to six months. And at 12 to 18 months, the heart function is getting even better. So the nice thing about cell therapy also is that it can be dosed very infrequently. You don't have to keep giving it. You can give it to a person one time, and they continue to get better over, over, over a year, one to two-year period. Once this gets approved, and obviously you're, you're, you're pretty optimistic in, in, in the next five years, things should start happening. My, my question is, should people enter into stem cell therapy before something goes wrong? You know, if, like, I'll give you an example. Someone has a bad diet, and obviously it affects the heart and, and the arteries and things like that. Uh, do they need to go for stem cell therapy after they've been diagnosed with a heart attack and blah, blah, blah? Or should they do it as part of the process of preventative measure? Well, that is a really, really fantastic question, and we've been very interested in that. We've mm. just done some research and published a paper uh, just this year that shows that if you give stem cell infusions to people who have problems like uh, diabetes or, or high cholesterol, uh, 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 features that we call the metabolic syndrome. So this is at a stage that is before major damage has been done to an organ. We have shown that you could do things to improve uh, that person's uh, biology. And so we are very excited mm. about the idea that 
not only can we treat heart damage after a heart attack, but that we might be able to prevent it. Now, in order to in order to get to that level, we're going to have to do a lot of research. We're going to have to do those trials that we talked about, the phase one, the phase two, the phase three trial. So right now, it's at, a, it's at, a, it's at the level of an idea. It's a great idea, mm-hmm. and we can only hope that we'll have the ability to do those trials very quickly um, and then um, uh, get that approval for that uh for that idea, and it would be amazing. I mean, th- so when you think about can we prolong life, right. it may very well be that this is what we're talking about. In theory, if we can limit the problems caused by diabetes and cholesterol and hypertension and prevent, you would imagine that that would contribute to uh, longer life for people. Dr. Hare, you've been great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. How can our listeners find out more or get in touch with you? Yeah, the, the web the web is the best way. Mm-hmm. Again, on clinicaltrials.gov, you right. can find the listing of trials. And if you put uh, the University of Miami in there, you'll see all of our trials and our contact information. We also have a a website, and that can be found just by searching the University of Miami Stem Cell Institute. Um, so that is really the best way. The the web, uh, all of our contact information is on the web in multiple places. We're excited to hear from people. We we get uh, four or five emails every week, mm-hmm. uh, increasing to about that m- amount every day. Mm-hmm. And we are uh, always eager to help people either with advice about what they could do locally or to give them appointments to come and, and see us here. We're, we're very proud that we've had people from literally every state in the United States come and uh, visit us here at Miami and be evaluated for a cell therapy. Thank you for coming on the show, Dr. Hare. Thank you very much for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. A special shout-out of thanks to my dream team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswell and my Facebook page, The Vip Jaswell Report. I wish you and your loved ones a fabulous evening, and until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead.